Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, if I call you Drew by mistake, you'll cut that out, <laughs> right? If you call me Drew by mistake, ouch. You'll cut that out, right? Robert Osborne has been hosting Turner Classic Movies for the past 18 years. Drew Barrymore is his co-pilot this year. I had joined him for three years, and I'm still waiting to be asked back. At Turner Classic Movies, Bob Osborne plays the role of ambassador to a bygone era that he's helped make more popular now than ever. The journey he took to get there could have made a classic movie itself. Small town kid falls in love with the movies and with nothing but instincts and charm finds himself thrust into an incredible adventure. In Osborne's story, the players are legendary, the backdrop is epic, and the plot twists will make you say that could only happen in the movies. In Robert Osborne's Odyssey, the detours are numerous but hardly incidental. You'll be glad he leaves nothing on the editing room floor. I grew up in a small town where I went to the movies a lot and fell in love with all these people. I also fell in love with the movie business. So all I saw were actors on the screen. So I thought, well, that's what I have to be if I want to be a part of the movie business. Nobody then was talking about film editors. There were no film schools talking about directing, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I decided I want to be an actor. And so I was doing— What did your parents say about that? That was fine, as long as I got an education They were very open-minded people. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they, they, they were. They were the kind of people that said, you know, be practical, get an education in something you can make a living at, but do what you want to do. At least try it, and then if it doesn't work out, move to something else. So I started doing a little theater work in Seattle, and one of the plays I did was a play called Night Must Fall with Jane Darwell, 
Jane Darwell, I don't, is the lady, you would know this, who played Henry Fonda's mother in The Grapes of Wrath and won the Oscar for it. And she's the one that said, you know, when you get finished with this, what are you going to do when you finish your Air Force? And she came up to Washington to a regional theater to, to do, do the play. Fall. Yes. And so I said, well, I'm going to go to New York. And she said, no, you have more of a California look. You should come to California. And she said, you can stay at my house. She had a, a staff and all of that kind of stuff. They lived out in the valley. And she said, you can at least get your feet on the ground there. I'll introduce you to an agent. She said, I think you do very well. So I did. Stayed with Jane Darwell and her family at her house on Ethel Avenue in the San Fernando Valley. I know and, Ethel Avenue. Yes. Yeah. Introduced me to an agent with MCA. In those days, if you could really walk and talk at the same time, you could get a, a contract at a studio. The first one he took me to was Fox, and they said, we want you to be under contract. So I was there for like six months. And during that period of time, I did a television show, which was a Western that of all, I was doing a little theater group. This is a convoluted story, but I'm, I'm going to no, get no. to where I'm going. And it was a theater group run by an actor named Francis Lederer. So I was doing some improvs in the class, and one of his friends came to it, and that was Paul Henried. You know, with the two cigarettes with Betty Davis. So Paul Henreid was saying, well, I'm directing a Western. Got a part coming up I think you'd be right for. I want you to come over and read for it next week. So, you know, I was kind of new to all of this. And I thought, you know, I went to California and I got a contract right away and got a part in a TV thing right away. I thought this is kind of easy. So anyway, I did the TV show and I had the lead in it for this one episode, the Stage that we shot an outdoor sequence for this Western on was where Paul Henry made the Spanish Main, which meant that it was also the soundstage where Fred and Ginger did all their big dance numbers. Wow. So that was kind of thrilling to me. Wow. Didn't mean anything to anybody else <laughs> in the in <laughs> right. day. Fred who? So anyway, I went back the next day to thank the casting man and the people that had put me in this thing for the Paul Californians. Henry. The Californians. There was this wonderful man, Milt Lewis, who used to be a talent scout at Paramount Studios. He was in the office, and I thanked him. And he said, well, do you have an appointment for the Lucille Ball auditions? And I said, no, I don't know about any Lucille Ball auditions. And he said, well, yeah, she's uh, putting a contract group together, and so she's going to have these auditions, and I think they're next week, but I'm not sure, but let me call up to her office and find out. Instead of a secretary answering, Lucy answered. <laughs> and she, he said, I got this guy down here, and I thought he might be a good bet for your contract people. So she obviously said, well, I'm not doing anything. Send him up right now. Isn't so I went funny? up to this office. There she was. Now, I have to tell you, I was impressed by her, but I didn't see a lot of I Love Lucy because when that was really hitting its peak, I was in college, and I was studying. I had a study hall. I didn't watch TV, and I loved the movies. If it had been Lana Turner I'd met or somebody, I wouldn't have been able to talk, but it was Lucille Ball, and she was impressed that I'd been to college, because she hadn't finished high school. This I got to know about her later, but also she was impressed by the fact I was living at Jane Darwell's house, (laughs) because I had asked her in our conversation who some of her favorite leading men were. And she said, leading men didn't mean that much to me. I like working with talented people, but it was the character actors I loved. She said, I loved like Edward Everett Horton, and I loved Harpo Marx, and I loved Donald Meek. Well, I knew who all those people were. And she was impressed by that because at that time, nobody knew who those people were. There was no nostalgia. Nobody cared. So it's interesting how at that point in your life, the passion you had that and the got, curiosity yes. you had that you've turned into a career yeah, now, yeah. the roots of it were you were just impressing a smaller circle of people 
with right. that knowledge. Yeah. And you're there, in J- yeah. and, and, and Lucille Ball's going, God, I love Jane Darnwood. Yeah. Darwell. Yeah. So what are she, we having lunch together? So, so she said, is there any film on you? And I said, well, I just did this thing with Paul Henry, and I'd also done a test with Diane Baker. And so she called over to Fox. Can I see the Diane Baker test? It's Lucille Ball. How soon can you send it over? Lucy was somebody that the minute she wanted something, she did it. She hung up the phone. She said, they're going to send it over. It'll be here in about a half an hour. So we kept talking. Well, the test was made for Diane, not for me. So there was a lot of the back of me. So when it was over, Lucy didn't really say anything. She just thanked me for coming by. And I thought, well, she wasn't that impressed, but at least I got to spend some time with Lucille Ball. Like a week later, a message comes on my voice. uh, You're answering service. Answering service. (laughs) Absolutely. Answering service. Call Lucille Ball's office right away. Here's the number. Hello, La Brea 9, <laughs> 2000. Who are you calling? Sue's answer phone, yes. I called the number, and the secretary said, well, Lucille Ball wants you to come to dinner on Friday night, if you're available, and meet Desi. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I go to Lucy's house that Friday night. There's no Desi, but there's Lucy, there's Janet Gaynor, there's Joseph Cotton, oh. there's Kay Thompson. Oh. Chuck Walters, Charles Walters, the director, Roger Edens, and a couple of other people, and her sister, Cleo, who was actually her cousin but raised as her sister, and me. After the dinner, and they were all chatting and laughing and all of that. Drinking. Drinking. Not Lucy. <laughs> Lucy wasn't a drinker at right. that point. Right. She, she learned how to drink a little bit later on, but right. not at that point. So we went in the living room and— uh, Where was the house? On Roxbury. Right next door right. to Jack Benny. Right in the heart of Beverly Hills. Right, right, exactly. And just down the street from Ira Gershwin and around the corner from <laughs> Don't Agnes do celebrity Moorhead. map with me, yeah. you. <laughs> so anyway, after dinner, we went in the living room. She pushes the button and the, the painting goes up, pushes another button, the screen comes down. And I'm thinking, did you ever believe that you would ever be? And then I thought, no, wait a minute. I always knew I was going to be here. Did this you? Isn't, I did. Did you? I remember it? that thought. I first started to say automatically, did you ever think, God, this and, is— and, and that was the beginning for you. Yeah, of, and I of, thought, no, I always knew I was going to be with people like this. And I relaxed then. I, I really relaxed. Because I thought, no, this is where you're supposed to be. comfortable. Yeah. And they this, liked you and you liked yeah, them. this is where I'm supposed to be. What did they scream? What movie do you remember? Funny Face, which was, <laughs> which was about— Three years old. But what Your was, memory is so annoying. What, no, but what was great about it was there's a part in Funny Face when Kate Thompson and Audrey Hepburn get up and do a number called On How to Be Lovely Together. Kate Thompson got up by the screen and did the number. So, <laughs> and it was, you know, fun. Watch the movie. The movie was over. Everybody starts to go. So I think, well, I'm supposed to go too. I still don't know quite why I'm here. And it certainly wasn't Lucy was saying, you know, stay around, little boy. Or anything like that. Yeah, it wasn't that. Yeah. So we got to the front door, thanking Lucy for the evening. She said, well, have you signed the papers yet? I said, what papers? I want you under the contract. And I said, well, nobody's ever mentioned anything. You're here to have dinner? (laughs) We're doing business, you fool. It's Hollywood. Yes, you idiot. Nobody's ever mentioned anything about a contract or anything. And she said, give them the address tomorrow and sign the papers. We don't offer these contracts to just anyone, (laughs) you fool. Jesus. So I was under contract then to Desilu. And so that was for two years. Now, the great thing about it was, is that For film and television. Film and television. It didn't pay us much money at all, but it was like a master class for me because there were about 12 of us under contract, but there were three of us who were really interested in the business. 
And she kind of recognized that right away and took us under her wing. That's when I first met Betty Davis. Betty Davis came to L.A. in a play called The World of Carl Sandburg. So she took us to the play and then took us backstage afterwards to meet Betty Davis. And Vivian Lee came in Duel of Angels. And so she went backstage and said hello to Vivian Lee and took us with her. Anytime there was somebody like that, Noel Coward or Marlena Dietrich, mm-hmm. she would take us there, pick up the tabs, because, again, she knew she wasn't paying enough money to, to keep up. for us to be able to do that. Okay. So we got this terrific education. And she also – now, Desi at this point was womanizing. He wasn't around much. So she would get movies that we wanted to see or hadn't seen because they weren't that accessible in those days and run them at her house. Or she would show us I Love Lucy shows she'd done, bad ones, and show us why they didn't work. Then show us a good one and why it did work. She wanted to share with someone. Yes. She also, the first day any of us were under contract there and we first met, she arrived. She'd just gone to a bank, which was right around the corner from Desilu, and she got uh, 12 savings accounts that she opened, put like $50 in. And she gave us, in each of our names, gave us the books. And she said, every week you have to put something away. And we were, as I say, making very little money. And I say, Lucy, you know, we don't barely enough to, to live on. She said, it can be only $5. But every week put something away. You won't miss it. It'll add up. So she had a very maternal instinct. Yeah. And she it. said, no matter what – the thing you must do is have enough money that you don't have to make decisions based on oh. money. For a kid from Colfax, Washington, this was just invaluable. I've been to college, but I never had these kind of life lessons. In the course of it, she met my folks, and she got to know me. She said to me early on, you can do this as an actor, but she said, and I think you could do well, but it's not going to make you happy. This is not the right line of work for you. And she said, you love old films. You love history. You love everything about the business. And you're a journalism major in college. We have enough actors. You should write about movies. And the first thing you should do is write a book. Who said this to you? Lucy. She said, it doesn't even have to be a good book. But find a subject about the movies that nobody's done and write a book about it. And you did? And I said, why? She said, if you write a book, it shows you have the discipline to sit down and do that. And did you? Yes, I did. What book? It was a book about the Oscars. Is this the book right here? Oh, my God. Yeah. Academy Awards Illustrated. I want our, our, yes. uh, I want our <laughs> listeners to know that yeah, Mr. Osborne's stunned expression yes, indeed. as I oh show God. a copy of the book that he yeah, that she found. My God. That's the book. That is amazing. There he is. Yes, there he there was. He no wonder you were getting in and out of all these parties back then. That kind There's of, a picture in this book. Let me just mention to our listeners there's a picture in this book. It's on page seven, by the way, of Academy Awards Illustrated, written by Robert Osborne with a forward by Betty Davis. Hollywood and the Oscars, 37 years of film history. And in it is a picture of Robert Osborne circa 1960 or so. Who is it you look like here? Well, I always got uh, tagged uh, that I looked like Robert Wagner. You look like, yeah, and there's somebody else you look like, too. It will come to me. So now you're a writer. So now I'm a writer. You're in Hollywood. It's it's the early 60s still. Right. You're a writer. And so I would do anything I could to uh, pay my rent. The Desilu days were over. Lucy had gone to New York to do Wildcat on stage. I was also realizing that... I'd done all that I kind of wanted to do. I did, a, a, you know, a couple of years of summer stock touring in a play with Robert Cummings. Do you think you clearly make a choice at this point in your life, or is well, the choice made for you? Well, the choice was kind of made for me because I was not getting parts like Night Must Fall that I love doing. I did a soap opera for a couple of years called The Young Marrieds. 
I was always in a suit with a tie and with a, a briefcase helping the plot along, but it wasn't interesting. And I wasn't interesting. Did a lot of commercials. I thought, you know, if this is the best I can do at this point, I got to get out of this altogether. Because I would look at a, a part and I think George Papard could do this so much better than I can. Or Tony Perkins would be great in this, better than I would be. You fell out of love with it. Yeah. And I was not stage struck anymore. Real simple, yeah. So then the next phase came with Olivia de Havilland. I did an interview with her for an in-flight magazine. They were not paying me anything, but it was a way to get free tickets to screenings. This seems to be the rule in your life. Yes. I wasn't getting paid (laughs) enough, so I'm going to moonlight. as. Yeah, go ahead. I got to say. So I could get free tickets to see movies. So I wrote reviews for this magazine, and they would ask me occasionally to write a interview or something. So Olivia de Havilland was doing a movie called Airport 77. I did an interview with her. We got along very well at the interview. Had a lot of champagne, courtesy of Universal (laughs) Pictures. When it was over, I felt very comfortable with her. And she said, we must stay in touch. So she sent me a note. She said, I'm going to be coming to Los Angeles in March. At that time, I will take you out for champagne. Okay, time goes by. Betty Davis was being honored by the AFI. I'd only met her briefly when she did the foreword for my book. So I didn't really know her. But I also knew the industry that I loved was coming to an end. Jimmy Cagney would be there. Fred Astaire would be there. Barishnikov. I mean, all these different people, the old and the new. So I thought, I got to go to that. But I really can't afford to go to that. So John Springer's PR company was handling it. I knew a guy, an actor named Ray Strickland, who now worked for John Springer. So I called him and I said, look. I got to go to this thing. Is there any way you could sneak me in? And he said, well, I can't get you a place at the dinner, but go out and rent a tuxedo, and I will sneak you in through the kitchen. Great. That's all I want. One day I went out and I rented a tuxedo. And when I got back, there was a phone message from Olivia de Havilland. So I thought, ah, she's come to go to the Betty Davis thing. She's calling to ask when we could have a bottle of champagne or something. So I called her back, and she's, the first thing she said was, I have a proposition for you, and it's not an indecent one. <laughs> There's an event for Betty Davis on Tuesday night. Would you escort me to it? So I was so stunned because here I'd just gone out to rent a tuxedo to sneak in through the kitchen. She took my non-response for hesitation. For doubt. Doubt. And so she said, well, we'll be sitting with Betty at the head table, and I think you'll have a good time. So I thought, oh, my God. So I called Tom Jones quickly and said, look, Olivia's asked me to this thing. I've got to get a car. I can't take her in my Volkswagen. Is there any way Disney, through Disney, you can get me a car? And he said, absolutely. So I went in style. We went to this event. They introduced Betty Davis. She walks in. They're playing the theme from Now Voyager. And she's waving to everybody. She comes up on the stage. And right at the first people she runs into, there's Paul Henry and his wife. So, of course, she goes over and says hello. The next one to her is Joseph Mankiewicz and his wife. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Now, I'm sitting just two steps to her left. Next to her is Olivia and then me. She knows everybody else on the dais. She's not somebody that's going to kiss this strange person. What do I do? So she comes and there's uh, Bob Wagner and Natalie. So she kisses all of that. And and she's... (laughs) About ready to sit, but Olivia, in a great flurry of theatricality, goes, Betty, and throws her arms out. So it pulls Betty to this side of the table. 
The light's so, on they, you now. So I think, what the hell can I do? All I could think of to do is I quickly took her hand and kissed her hand. Yes. When they cut it and edited it, they show her entering, and they show her up on the stage, greeted by Olivia, and then this gallant man kissing her yes. hand. And for years after, whenever they would do recaps at the beginning of the AFI tribute, they always showed Betty Davis and this guy kissing and Prince her hand. Charming. <laughs> the beer can amongst the cut crystal in his own <laughs> mind, right? Absolutely, the yeah. beer can. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. More in a minute. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now right rug flooring l-a-s-i-k lasik.com have a ton of questions about lasik you're not alone That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and I'm talking with Robert Osborne, host of Turner Classic Movies. We pick up our story after Osborne has been discovered, if you will, at a tribute to Betty Davis. Olivia de Havilland is still in town and has been asked to appear on the Dinah Shore show. De Havilland is excited, yet hesitant. Turns out Osborne had hit it off with Dinah Shore's producer, Fred Tattashore. As he always seemed to be back then, Robert Osborne is once again in the right place at the right time. So I'm thinking, this is where the, my All About Eve aspect comes in, is I'm thinking... Your Ann Baxter's Fred, coming through. Yes, my Ann Baxter's coming through. Fred Tattashore had said, you're a really interesting guy. I'd love to have you come on the show sometime if we could ever find a place to fit you in. So I'm thinking, hmm, Olivia's won an Oscar. I wrote a book about the Oscars. Hmm. So I called, I didn't say anything, but I called Ray Strickland. And I said, who else do you have in your office that's won Oscars? And he said, well, we have Shelley Winters, we have Shirley Jones, we have Eve Marie Saint. And I explained this to him. I said, Fred Tattashore is looking for a subject that Olivia could be on. And I'm just going to throw out that 
you know, maybe an Oscar show. And you could also mention me because he did mention if he ever found a place I could fit in. So it was done. And we did the show. I'm with some very heavy hitters, all sure. these ladies. And they have a lot to talk about. So I didn't say much, but I had one great moment. Shelly Winters was sitting next to me, and I said, and Dinah, being a consummate hostess, started talking about my book. I said, you know, the reason I wrote that book, one reason is because of Shelly Winters. And Shelly Winters said, really? I said, yes, because I'd seen you on so many talk shows talking about your Oscar nomination for the movie A Double Life with Ronald Coleman was her big breakthrough part. I said, you always talk about your nomination. And I said, it's very easy to find out who won Oscars, but there's no list anywhere of people who were nominated. And when I started doing the research, I found out you weren't nominated for that movie. And she said, what? What? And she, oh. she just had a fit. I said, no. And I listed the ones who were nominated. It made a really wonderful television moment. Dinah liked that and Fred Dattacher liked that. <laughs> so they said, hmm. Why don't you come back and do some entertainment things for us? Wow. And so I started doing that. Out of that, an old friend of mine who worked for The Hollywood Reporter, who I've been trying to get in as a writer for years. So this years, is the beginning of The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. Called, and she said, I always wonder what happened to you. And you've written a book. I said, yeah, but it's not a new book. It's been out a couple of years. And she said, well, send it, and we'll review it. I said, it's been reviewed by The Hollywood Reporter. Well, I'd like to see it anyway. Margie Wooster, her name was. Probably still is. So I sent her a copy of the book, and she said, well, it's a terrific book. And would you ever like to write for The Hollywood Reporter? I said, I've been trying to do that, Margie, for, you know, 10 years. Now, why? One of your gifts is handling, obviously, these powerful personalities and doing it very elegantly on TV. Why didn't you want to stay with TV? Why did you want to go write for the paper? Well, the TV was just a one-shot, and right. The Hollywood Reporter at that point was very important. So, that, that's the point. So, in other words, so it's a reporter, and I like variety. Yeah, that's a steady <laughs> the job. Red, the red and the green, as they call yeah, it. Yeah, it's a steady LA. job. It's also the great thing it about was a The big Reporter. Deal, a big deal. There were two trade papers. That's where you got – everybody got their, their entertainment very news. Very influential. There was no cable. And it was also never – it never had to do, like everything else in Hollywood, whether or not – what you were doing was successful or not. The Hollywood Reporter was always in. You always right. got great tables anywhere. You always got great seats at screenings. Yeah. You always got treated well. And all if that you were jargon the back then. I always yeah. remember that. I said, I'd love to. So she said, well, she set me up with an appointment with the lady who ran the Hollywood Reporter, Teachy Wilkerson Miles. What year is this now? So this is like 1977. You go to work for the reporter. So, no, no. I get the interview with Teacher Wilkerson Miles. It was obviously a courtesy call, and I could tell I hadn't made no impression at all. So I called Margie, and I thanked her, but I said, you know, Teacher didn't even see me. She said, well, I'll figure some other way. Then she called me, and she said, look, what are you doing? And she gave me some dates. And I said, well, I'm working in the box office of the Greek Theater. And she said, well, can you get off for the, this two-week period? Hank Grant, who writes the main column, Rambling Reporter, is taking a vacation. And they've asked me to write the column for him. And she said, I'll tell them I will. And then at the last minute, I'll tell them I can't for some reason. I'll recommend you do it. They'll have to get somebody to do it. This is your life story. You're, you're going to go <clears throat> through the kitchen, and then Olivia calls. <laughs> and you don't have to go through the kitchen anymore. Well, but there's a lot of struggle in there beforehand, but once it started... Yeah, yeah, we get it. Once it started going, it really started going. But this is a great opportunity for you. Yeah. So I got called in. I had stories ready. I've been doing it for about three days. I got a call from Teachy Wilkerson Miles. And she said, do you work for us? And I said, no, I don't, but I'm just coming in to help out. She said, 
would you like to work for us? And I said, yes, I would. She said, well, you've got a job. And I said, well, I've got another job right now. I don't think I told her it was the Greek theater box office. She said, well, when you finish that, come here, what date would that be? So I gave her a date. She said, on that date, you show up for work. It's Lucia Ball all over again. So, come up here now. So on that date, I showed up for work. The editor said, well, I don't have any room for you in here. So just kind of wander around and get to know the paper. When she comes back, we'll ask her what she plans for you to do. Just before she came back, Marjorie, who wrote a column called On Location, where you go visit film sets for the paper. She got in a fight at the paper, and she quit. And when she was going out the door, they said, what are we going to do? Your column's due. We have to have a column for tomorrow. She said, have Osborne do it. He's not doing anything around here. And isn't it amazing how people who don't know these kinds of businesses, like the newspaper business, how it's really true. How do you become the drama critic? Yeah. You're writing the gardening column, and the drama critic drops dead at his typewriter, and they're like, Osborne, get over here. That's and right. The, and, and so that's exactly what that's happened right. here. So all of a sudden, I wasn't writing for the, in the editorial department. I had a column. How did you feel about that? I loved it. Did you? Except, and you, and you, except I don't think I was very good at it, because I'll tell you why? what, it really sh- is supposed to be a gossip column, or at least have inside dirt, and I never felt comfortable intruding upon people the one to keep a secret because I think secrets are important to have. You're very discreet. I've been around you many, many hours, and you're never sitting there saying, so there's this story that so-and-so told me, and you know so-and-so. You never get into that. And so that was problematic for you in writing that comment? It was. You just, it you're, was. Not, you're not interested well, in dirt it's, it's like, and making people look you know, bad. It's, it's, oh, I'd worked for, during one period, during, for a PR firm. And for a while, Rock Hudson was a client of ours, so I knew him well. And so I knew when he got AIDS that he had AIDS, Mm -hmm. but I would not write about that. At that time, I was also doing the evening news because all TV stations at one point had entertainment reporters. The lady who – a wonderful lady, Marsha Brandwin, who was the kind of news head there, and I got in a big argument about that. She knew I knew about Rock Hudson, and she said, you've got to go on the air with that. And I said, no, he -hmm. doesn't want that known. This is a very sick man. Hmm. And he's an actor. I said, if it was the president, that affects all of us in this country. He's an actor. So I wasn't that good at that. I mean, I think I wrote a lively column and an interesting one. How long did you write the column for? Oh, boy, for about 20 years. So you're doing The Reporter. It's 20 years of The Reporter. And then what? Okay. Then the CBS Morning Program in New York asked me if I would do entertainment reports at night in Los Angeles that could be put on the air on a new CBS morning program the next day. I'd always wanted to live in New York, so I said, what if I did them live in New York? The minute I got to New York, I thought, I can't ever go back. What about New York appeal to you? Oh, Is he more serious to you? No, every time I was in New York, I felt alive. I, I saw people reading books, and I saw there was so much activity going on. And Hollywood had changed. And you were ready to leave it, that Hollywood. Yes, and it was also cars, and you only you had to drive to sure. get anywhere. On the, New York, you're on the street. You run into somebody, and you go have a drink with them. Yeah. I mean, I loved all that. That's when Dorothy Lamore came to town, and she said, look, they're honoring Jimmy Stewart. I'm going to come back for two days. We were always going to have dinner in L.A. We never did. Why don't you take me to the Jimmy Stewart thing? I'll have the tickets and everything, and then we'll finally have that dinner the next night. Greatest show on earth. Mm -hmm. Right. So I said, where would you like to have the dinner? And she said, well, at 21. When I was a star, that's about the only place that's still in New York that was around when when I used to come to New York. So I took her to the Jimmy Stewart thing, and that night she said, look, I got a problem. 
I'm doing some promotional work for AMC, and the people at AMC want to take me to dinner. And the only night I can do it is the night we were going to go to 21. Would you mind if very nice guy, Brad Siegel, and a publicity guy with them, uh, Jim Weiss, if they joined us? And I said, no, not at all. And we all just sat around and, at her favorite table, and we talked and told stories and all of that. And soon after, Brad called me, and he said, you know a lot about movies. And I said, yeah, I guess I do. And he <laughs> said, well, we're th- – going to get rid of our afternoon guy at AMC. I'd love you to come and be the afternoon guy. This was a big deal. And I thought, it's perfect for me. Everything was negotiations were underway. And then all of a sudden he called and he said, "Uh, I'm I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving. I'm going to go work for Ted Turner in Atlanta. But you're in good hands. Everything will be fine. And I was really disappointed because I like Brad Siegel a lot. And uh, a couple of months went by. And then he called and he said, hey, have you signed with the AMC thing yet? And I thought he was badgering me to sign. I said, no, no, but I, I got the papers. I'll do it. He said, well, don't. Ted's going to start his own movie channel, and I want you to be the head guy. He said, I just want to tell you, if you come with TCM, you'll start with only 6 million viewers. If you go with uh, AMC, you'll have 60 million. If you come with TCM, you're going to have to come to Atlanta at least once a month. If you go with AMC, you can work in New York. But – the library. He sure. said, if you come with TCM, you're going to have the MGM library, the RKO library, the Warner Brothers library, and all of that. And so there was really no choice. That, that was what year? That was like 1994. 94. So, so we're coming up on 18 years now. You, you, you've been there. Uh-huh. They launched TCM yes. with you as the, as the uh, hood ornament, so to speak, uh-huh. of that vehicle. Now, the thing is, is that in that ensuing time, AMC completely changed. Right. They got out of the classic movie right. business, and now they're just another movie channel. I mean, you became the right. imprimatur, if you will, of right. real classic film. How did you feel about that? Well, I felt very good about it. I, I was confused why they gave up on that. Oh, but, me too. But, you know, A lot but, of people wanted to cancel their subscriptions to the game. They thought yeah, it was false advertising. But, but the problem was, you know, they didn't have their product. Turner owned the product. Right. So they had to spend money sure. to get their product. Sure. It was also called American Movie Classics, which means you can't show European films. Right. You know, we have a franchise in it where we show nothing but European films at certain hours of the day. Now, let me say this. I'm a huge classic movie junkie, and it may not be every style and every period. You know, you, when we compared our lists and everything, because people don't realize how it works, they'd send to me, here's the films that are not preferred, but here's the ones we would likely not want to show because they've been in the rotation a lot the last 12 months. Right. So they'd give me a list and they'd say, if you can choose from this list, and here's our list that we own, and if you can stick with that, great. But if you want to deviate, we'll see if we can well, get it. And, and the main reason for that is so that we're not showing Sunset Boulevard every year. No, of as course. An of course exa- exactly. Oh, Casablanca. Yeah. No, I, they, I, I totally understand their methodology. So they would send me the list, and they'd say, you know, you pick 30, and Bob picks 30, and then you guys will cull it together and come up with, you know, a list, a joint list of 30. And you'd pick some that I'd say to myself, well, I don't really, you know, I'm not wild about that movie. You know, Random Harvest I liked, but it wasn't crazy about it. But I, I learned from you what makes that a classic film because of how it fits into that whole line of, of Hollywood filmmaking. But I want to go back to something you said, which is that you saw that film business had changed and you were in those rooms with those people and you were their friend. And then realism came. What was a movie you saw at that period that you said to myself, my God, the movies have changed? Well, Easy Rider. I happened to be in London, a place I never went to very often. Right. But I happened to be at the Royal Court Theater one night seeing a play. Alan Bates was in a play. And in the row in front of me was Dennis Hopper, 
who had just come back from, I believe, the Cannes Film Festival, where they showed Easy Rider, and it won some awards. Or maybe it was the Venice Film Festival, whatever. And they were talking about it, and I thought, the way the papers were writing about that, I thought, this is something very strange, that that movie about a couple of motorcycle guys on cycles. And no story. Smoking a lot of grass. And no so plot. Stories and no plot. And then as that thing came out and became so popular, I thought, you know, this is, this is really— A seminal change. Yeah, seminal change. But, you know, that was kind of on its way from back in the late 40s when Ingrid Bergman— the reason she wanted to go do that something with Roberto Rossellini, she'd seen Open City and Paisan— and they were real. These were real people and real on the street. So that was starting to come. But then when Easy Rider came out and was so embraced by this country, not just by foreign film addicts or something like that, I think that was a big turning point. Did you point. think that the Vietnam War was responsible for that change? I think, I think Kennedy being assassinated Both changed, being as changed the world. Yeah. That shot changed everything about America and made us cynical, made people discontent, angry. You know— For me, when I was young, there was a man who, when you saw this man on TV, he was the movie business. There's a man that would sit at a desk, and he'd get up from that desk, and he'd talk to the camera at the movie business, and this man became the emblem, and that was Walt Disney. And to me, you are the Walt Disney of your generation. You come on TV, and right away, people, because you have become so synonymous. I mean, people just love you. They love your show, and you mean the movie business. Do you sense that when you're out on the street with people? I get a sense of that, but I honestly don't see it. Who do you think you're talking to when you talk to the camera, when you do the wraparound? I talk to three people. I talk to my aunt who lives on a farm, who (laughs) loves old movies but doesn't know much about them. But I also know that if I mention L.B. Mayer, I have to say, identify who he was. I can't say Bertolucci without explaining that he's a director. Can't be shorthand for my aunt. I also talk to a guy that is now... A young man, but he was in his early 20s, worked for The Hollywood Reporter that called me one time and said, you know, I just saw this great movie the other night. I was wondering if the lady in it made any other movies. I'd like to see some of those movies. And I said, well, what's the, what's the movie? He said, I didn't get the name of it. Well, who's the actress? I don't know what her name was. Well, describe the movie to me. He described it, and it was Gilda with Rita Hayworth. And so I'm also talking to him. He's interested in movies. He wants to learn about movies and all of that. And I'm also talking to a friend of mine who died recently called Robert Rosterman in Chicago who knows as much about movies as any of us know. What was his profession? He worked for years as a booker for 20th Century Fox. So he was in the biz. Kind of, yeah. But he was a a dedicated movie fan. But I want to say something in each introduction that's also going to be news to him. So I try to gear it for those three people. My aunt and my friend John (laughs) and Robert Rosterman to cover all bases. Robert Osborne, he turns 80 next month. Last year, I went to a book party for Keith Richards. I found myself seated directly opposite Richards and his wife, Patty Hanson. And long story short, as Patty Hanson says, we just so love you, Alec. We love you on that TV show. And I thought... Oh, good God, I go, Patty Hanson and Keith Richards don't watch Dirty Rock. This is preposterous. She's just being so polite. And she says, what's that show? She says, Keith, that show we watch every week. We watch. And Keith Richards looks at me and goes, we watch you on Turner Classic Movies, man, (laughs) every weekend. It was so fantastic. We love that show. And I thought, God damn it, Osborne has upstaged me again. (laughs) 
you're one of these guests that we're going to have back. Oh, I'd love it. Because I want to talk about the movies themselves. But you have to promise me one thing. What is that? That you'll come back with me and do the essential. Because <laughs> I know you're trying to start a rumor that you got fired or something. I got fired. You, they got tired of you me. You so did not get fired. It's humiliating. I'm like a weak sparring partner to you. Not for a second. God bless you for doing what Thank you're doing. Thank you, Alec. Yeah. We'll see you soon. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.